This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on today's show. Previewing, getting you ready for number eight, Oregon. At number 13, Washington, a 130 local kick. Washington? Is it is Utah week. Washington. It is Utah week. What, where did that come from? Uh, I'm so focused on Washington, apparently. Uh, Oregon at Utah, uh, 130 local kick, 1230 Pacific. Joel Klatt, Gus Johnson, Jenny Taft, Fox calling the game. Um, I think this is like, what, the fifth? straight meeting between teams where they're both ranked. Um, you look at the past four conference champions in the Pac-12. These are the two teams that make that up. Uh, this is a pretty significant game. Um, normally it's played in November. We get it the last weekend in October. Um, it's usually this winter usually goes into a good position for winning the league. And this year's situation, if, you lose, you're probably – you're not out, but you're in a really tough spot to get to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game. Or do you do – um, let's start here. Like, do, do we view that as like the case? Um, if Oregon is to, to lose this game, do, do we have any confidence that Oregon can still get to Vegas? Yeah, it would require Utah losing again. Um, actually, it would require Utah losing twice. Twice. Or, or it being a lot of teams tied with the tiebreaker getting wonky, and I, you'd have to get into a lot of math. But no, the, yeah, right. The loser is takes a huge step back from making the conference championship. I'm not going to write anybody out because I think we all kind of wrote Utah out last year when they lost to Oregon in the you know, in, up in Eugene, and then Oregon lost a couple of games and or lost the last game to Oregon State, I should, I should say. And Utah found its way back into the conference championship game, and obviously we know what happens after that. So. Um, I don't think you can write anybody totally out just because it could get wonky and a lot of the really good teams play each other and there could be a team that, you know, there could be a bunch of upsets. But the reality is, is if Oregon loses this game, it's picture to actually make the conference championship becomes far, far more difficult. Um, and while I wouldn't totally write it off, it would be a situation where obviously they would have to win out and they would lose control of their own destiny in terms of what happens with the Utes. Right, and not much else to say. Uh, I, I wouldn't write either of these teams off if Oregon went, or if Oregon loses or if Utah loses to get back to the Pac-12 championship game uh, just because of the competition within the Pac-12. It's a great division, probably the second best, uh, not division, second best conference uh, in all of America. Like, it depends who you have on number one, but um, it's right there. And so it's going to be really chaotic towards the end of the end of the year, just because every good team plays every good team. And that includes Oregon going against everybody else. So certainly would would hurt both teams chances uh, if they were to lose this weekend, whatever team it is. Um, but you can't count them out just like Eric went through last year with Utah and their loss to Oregon at the end of the year. But they still got in because of all the, the, the tiebreakers and things like that. So 
could get wonky or one team or two teams could just go, you know, eight and one and then cruise into the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon's a six and a half point favorite. And normally that feels high, but Utah's dealing with just, I don't even want to call it a rash of injuries. It's, it's like, it, it's really damn impressive that they are here at six and one going into this game. They are in this, inside the top 15 in the polls based off of all the players and the positions and the importance of those players who are hurt. And most notably it's Cam rising. He will not play in this game. They finally announced that he has been shut down. They're going to apply for a medical red shirt insert uh, walk on or former walk on Bryson Barnes, who has replaced him looked really good last week. Um, another star for them on offense has been, Sion Vaca at running back, um, also at safety. But this is a group that a guy gets hurt, and the next guy steps up. They keep winning. And Monday night, speaking with Dan Lanning, like he, he's pretty honest and pretty forthcoming with some thoughts, you know, on players or on programs. And last night we got one with him saying. This is the team he probably respects the most, you know, defensively of how they play, the game plans that they put together, and the development and coaching that, that they get from Utah head coach Kyle Winningham and down from his staff. Very high praise from Dan and this unit, as it should be, because they are always really good. I think it just carries over a, a, a kind of a run here of mutual respect between these programs. Like Mario was always extremely complimentary. I, I think it's hard not to be when you see just that operation at Utah and how consistently good they've been. And like for my money, like this could be Kai Whittingham's best coaching job at Utah. Like just in terms of everything they've overcome. And, and obviously the, like about half the season's left to be played and who knows the wheels might fall off. They have a lot of tough games to play, but if they end up making it into the conference championship game, or even if they end up, one game shy of that and finish with like a 10 win regular season. Like that's extremely, extremely impressive given everything. And Matt ran through some of it that, and, and Dan, like, like Matt was saying, said it was a phenomenal job from what he'd seen from them. And, you know, talked about the fact that, yeah, you've got Sione Vaki, who's a safety playing running back. You're using offensive linemen in tight end situations. Like you're moving guys around. They've got, it's not just like bit players who are out. It's their starting quarterback. It's Lander Barton, who's one of their best uh, young linebackers, one of their best young players. It's Logan Fanta, who is one of their better pass rushers. It's two of their best running backs. I mean, it's it's a lot of guys. It's Brant Keithy, who you forget about him because it's been he's been out for almost two full seasons now. Was like one of the league's best tight ends back in twenty twenty one. So like it's like it's a lot of guys. Yas- Yasmin too. Yasmin too. Yeah, I, I must forgot about that one. Yeah, so it's. Six, I, seven names. It's like we just went through. Yeah, dozen. yeah. It's more than half a dozen, and guys. It's not like it's secondary guys. These are like starter, starting players. So, it's it's impressive what they've done and how they've been able to to handle everything. And on Saturday, if you're an Oregon fan, you're going to hear probably a lot about Sione Vake in particular, and and obviously about Bryson Barnes and Nate Johnson, the quarterbacks. But Vake's story is mm-hmm. really fascinating because it's a guy who went out and ran for 160 yards his first game, and then the next game against USC had like 100. And, 40 yards, 50 yards receiving, 200 yards from total offense, has four touchdowns in two games, playing approximately like 28 snaps per game. Like he is produced at a level that I think is pretty remarkable when you look further into it. Oh, certainly. And um, on the season, Utah is fourth in the Pac 12 in rush yards a game, 183.3. 
Um, that's going to be Utah's bread and butter. They're going to try to establish the run against Oregon. Um, I talked about this yesterday on the mailbag pod. I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how Oregon's defense responds to that because there's been some leaks, I, uh, honestly, within the defensive line and, and the ability to stop the run. Uh, and this is a team that if they find out that they can run the ball on you, um, they got some dudes who can do it, including Vaki and Jaquindon Jackson or Jaquindon Johnson. Um, there's some good running backs there. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see. But if Oregon can stop the run, then there's um, Utah is not great in the passing department. We talked about Bryson Barnes, who did leave you know, a great drive towards the end of the game against USC to give them the, the game-winning field goal and set that up. Um, but in the Pac-12, I got some stats here. So if you're not a stat person, you know, skip ahead, hit the 15-second-plus mark on uh, Spotify. Uh, total offense, they're 11th in the Pac-12, 345 yards. Passing offense, they're 12th, 161.7 yards. And uh, scoring, just to- points points per game, 10th, 23.4. So not exactly a barn burner of an offense. But we're here to talk about Utah's defense because that's the, the best thing about them. And even with all those injuries, Jonah Ellis is still a beast off the edge, uh, leads the Pac-12 in tackles for loss and for sacks. Um, they're second in every major statistical category in uh, the Pac-12, total defense, pass defense, rush defense, and scoring defense. Um, it's going to be an absolute dogfight, like it kind of was last season where it was a mm-hmm. 20-something to 20-something yep. game. Um, I, I think Oregon, if they can establish the run, um, which is going to be incredibly difficult because they're only giving up 78 yards per game at this point that would obviously help but um it's gonna be a ruckus environment it's gonna be two hard-nosed defenses squaring off against each other um and it's exactly the game that utah loves um this was the game that mario cristobal loved because Mm -hmm. it was like we're gonna run right into our offensive line every single time and then maybe every once in a while do something different but it's gonna be big boys versus big boys and uh i'm excited to watch it um, I think it's one of the one of the best games that Oregon plays every single year are these matchups against Utah because of just the physicality and that's why Dan was so complimentary of of Utah is just and specifically for Bryson Barnes too he's like you gotta love this dude he just plays hard he plays he wants to run through guys he wants to pick up those extra hard yards so um, I think it's just gonna be a, a hoot to watch good old fashioned rock fight potential yeah. coming Casey Kelly called it this is what the big it's like in the Big Ten every week, and he would know. Casey Rogers. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. Casey, I am just off today. Uh, off, Casey man. Rogers. Casey Rogers, who previously played at Nebraska, said that this is just what it's like every year, every week in the Big Ten. And, you know, A, that's some foreshadowing for maybe what's to come for Oregon down the road next season. And, B, that's kind of what to expect for this one is just two really good defenses, two really – you know, lineups loaded with big dudes hitting each other. And it, I, like Jared said, I'm excited to see it because we're going to see good on good. Uh, we've talked a lot about how elite Oregon's offense has been, how balanced they've been, and how that's played a factor in them being able to put up damn near 50 points every game. Um, that's, I would be shocked if Oregon scores 50 points in oh, this yeah. game. I would be shocked if Oregon scores 40 points in this game. Um, are, are we thinking like it could be a 24, 21? Could it go even lower than that? I, below the twenties feels probably. Unlikely you called to a, me. yesterday. You called the over. It'd be like thirties, thirties into the sixties. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking it's going to be low 30s. I, I think for some reason, I just think Utah is going to be able to move the ball in Oregon. Hmm. Um, their running game's really good. Jared's brought up some, you know, some concerns we've had with the the run defense at Oregon. We've seen teams who historically don't run the football really a, a ton have some success. UW did a really good job in the first half against Oregon uh, running the football. Um, so I, I'm just curious to see how this game plays out. Low 30s probably feels right for me. Maybe one team in the mid mid 30s, one low you know, high 20s, but. Uh, a bunch of points is going to be unusual, would, would be unexpected. Uh, health-wise, we, we talked about it for Utah. They're they're banked up. Health-wise for Oregon, it feels like, at least from what we saw at practice today, things are trending in the right direction for multiple guys. Yeah, it was good news last night with, with Dan Laming uh, addressing media and, and talking about a couple of injuries and, and saying that both Kyrie Jackson, I guess I'd say all three of these players. I didn't realize Jordan James was dealing with anything, but James Kreppi, I included him in the question. But uh, Jordan James, Bucky Irving, and Kyrie Jackson all practiced on Monday, according to Dan. He thought they would all be good to play on Saturday. On Tuesday, we can confirm that all three were on the practice turfs. Bucky even spoke with the media shortly after, said it was kind of a thing where it's like he got, he's got his wind knocked out of him a little bit, something with his shoulder, but nothing that's going to cause him to miss any time. He was full go today, looked fine. Same thing with Jordan James. Um, Kyrie had like a left shoulder brace, but looked like he was moving obviously okay out there. Didn't seem like he took part in the mod bracket part, but that's not necessarily a huge surprise um, given that he's been out for a minute. So, uh, but yeah, I think there's a very high, I mean, I think both running backs are undoubtedly playing in this game. And then Kyrie, mm -hmm. I would lean towards playing, but who knows? We thought he was going to play last week and then he went through warmups and then didn't play. So maybe it'll be a game time type of decision again. Um, but yeah, the running backs, I don't think there's any question. I think Oregon fans can take a sigh of relief there in terms of, oh, no, are we going to lose more of our star running backs? The answer doesn't seem to be yes. Yeah, and just the other peripheral guys, like Justin Jacobs remains. Obviously, he played against Washington State, but he remains out there. Um, Jaleel Florence played or was at practice, like Eric talked about, and went through some of the drills as well. Um, I think he was on the other side of the field from my side of the mod bracket, but um, looked like he was fine. Caught a glimpse of him during the fastball period, so he was out mm -hmm, there. Yeah. Sorry, Nate, if you're listening. I happened uh -oh. to look over my shoulder and saw him. So um, nobody else, though, not a single soul. Certainly wasn't Bo Nix with the number one offense. Um, <laughs> just, just an idea, but... Uh, yeah, uh, it's again, we've been talking about this for weeks now. Um, Oregon, relatively, especially, I guess, compared to years past, has been good on the injury front. Um, going back to my point earlier, going to be physical on Saturday. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fun. This is going to be good old hard-nosed football where it's it's an important thing to have your team fully healthy, more or less, going into this game. And for Utah... They are not fully healthy like we ran through, um, but they're going to play like it. They're going to act like there's not a problem with their team, and it's going to be it's going to be physical. It's going to be hard hitting. So maybe there will be some injuries in that game, but um, it's certainly going to it's certainly going to help Oregon at least on paper that all of their guys, mo more or less, all of their guys are healthy and ready. Do we feel more confident because of that? Like, think back to 2021. Oregon went to Utah, and that's kind of when the Mario to Miami rumors started popping up. 
Um, and then a bunch of injuries along the, the receiver room had hit. Yep. And I think Oregon started Troy Franklin, um, Chris Hudson, Johnny Johnson. Oh, yeah, Johnny Johnson got hurt. Yeah, Troy Franklin, Chris Hudson, and was it Devin Williams that started? Uh, yeah, Devin, Devin would have been yeah, available. Devin. I, Isaiah Crocker had to play. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Oregon's receiver room was just completely depleted. Micah Pittman had quit um, just before that week. Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red both had season-ending injuries. Yeah, like, and then last season, uh, obviously the big one, Bo Nix was hurt, and we didn't know if he was going to play all week. Um, we, you know, he, he was trying to practice, but you know he was super limited, and it was very clear when he did trot out there for the first series on offense, like he wasn't healthy, and it was maybe one of the better performances we've seen from a quarterback or a gutsy performance, I should say from a quarterback or any player at Oregon from a long time, but like Oregon's healthy now. Like is our confidence any better of a, of a win because they haven't had to deal with the injuries that they've dealt with the last three times that they've played this team. Yeah. I think I, there I mean, is. Sure. Sure. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, if Oregon was banged up coming into this and Bucky wasn't going to play and maybe we didn't think Kyrie would play and, you would certainly have more reservations for feeling confident. I'm, I'm confident in Oregon, um, not just because they're at close to full strength, but because I think they're in better position in part because of the injuries on the other side. Like I, 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 I think it's really hard to expect. And I, well, I don't know how much you want to get into this. This is kind of my larger theme for, for this game, but like I, if Oregon is able to land a couple of blows early in this game and create a lead, I, I find it, unlikely Utah has the response to fully come back. Mm -hmm. So that's the advantage that I see for Oregon is like Bryson Barnes, man, I don't want to count him out at all because the way he rallied that team on Saturday, they had control of that game. They lost it. He threw a pick, a, a really crucial part of that. He had the pick six um, that USC returned for the touchdown to, to cut into it. Then they came down and and, and took the lead a second later. And, and But his rally was impressive. I just think if Oregon can create a two-score lead, that puts a lot of pressure on Bryson Barnes. That puts a lot of pressure on, on some of these playmakers. And, and again, some of these guys who just haven't been playing the positions that they are as long as others. So, um, yeah, I mean, the health side is the, the health element of this, it is, if we're talking about the scales, it's tipped heavily towards Oregon without question. And of course, that feels like an advantage and a reason to have some confidence. But I also think that I'm sure USC came into last weekend's game going, we're at home, we have right. Caleb Williams. As Kai yeah. Whittingham said, they have the pig farmer at quarterback. Like, like there was reasons to be confident there. So I just don't think you overlook Utah. But absolutely, the health part is is on Oregon's is on Oregon's favor for sure right now. Yeah, health part, Oregon. Um, you can just like Eric said, you can never overlook Utah. You never can, and they've been doing this for years now. Where their roster is not as talented as everybody else's. They're not as glamorous or don't do the trick plays. Their quarterbacks kind of come out of nowhere. They're hard-nosed. They run the ball up the middle and get into your face about it. And then what do they do? They go 10-2 and two in the Pac-12 and compete for a conference championship like every single year. And so that's the reason why it's like, yeah, I know Oregon should feel good about their injuries. And it's certain you would rather be Oregon than Utah when dealing with injuries. But um, I don't necessarily know if that like makes me feel – like, oh, yeah, no, Oregon's like clearly going to win now because they have the better injury situation. I just think it's going to be just incredibly difficult to count out Utah. Um, they do a great job adjusting from a game-to-game -game basis and figuring out what they need to do and moving personnel. And Kyle Whittingham has done this 
you know, Eric, you said it earlier, like this might be his best coaching performance. Um, it might be, uh, but I also feel like we say that almost every year, like that, oh, the talent that they lost in, in the, the draft or the portal or whatever the case may be, like, man, this is going to be a tough rebuild for Kyle Whittingham's Utah team. And then shoot, man, they go and do it. They win nine games in the conference or not in the conference, but they win nine games and then go compete. They win nine games and are a top 15 team at the end of the season. They go 10 and two and compete for a Rose Bowl when you're like, this team's going to finish fourth in the Pac-12, no doubt about it, in the preseason because of who they lost or a lot of no-name guys to go ahead and or no-name guys going into the season. Um, so it's just incredibly difficult. And then you have to go play in Salt Lake City, which is a great environment to go into. Um, so certainly, like, yeah, you want to be Oregon rather than Utah in the injury situation. But, man, have they done – they have done pretty damn good even after all these seasoning and injuries for a lot of guys. They found dudes to just step up. Sione Vaki, like we talked about, um, they've just found dudes. Joan Ellis is a guy, and a really, really good edge rusher. So it's certainly – uh, an interesting storyline because it's like kind of two teams going in the opposite direction with their injuries. But um, I think it's just going to be really hard to ever count out Utah, honestly, ever. They could have half their team miss the bus to the game and they have 27 guys, but I would still be like, oh boy, there's going to be a good Utah team coming out there. They're going to play hard and physical. Yeah, I I think it's Whittingham's to lose for coach of the year in the conference and it's Probably not even close. Um, they're going to have to fall apart, like Eric said. For no, no, Kalen DeBoer. What? No. What about Coach Prime? We thought we thought UW was going to be good, and I, mean, I know we thought you. Uh, I, I, let me start over. I know we thought Washington was going to be good. I know we thought Utah was going to be good, but Utah has had so many guys that were supposed to be key pieces just get decimated and wiped off the board of availability. And yet they keep winning. Whereas UW hasn't had any, they've had some, but not to this level of severity. They, you know, take away Michael Penix and is, is Washington six and one right now? I don't think so. They probably lose to Oregon. They probably lose to ASU based on how they played last week. Um, I, I will, I will counter and say though, I think if you, Washington is the first team to go nine and zero, that is going to be yes. mm-hmm. a component for. But I agree. I would go Whittingham without question at the current standing of things. No, uh, no votes for Kenny Dillingham. It's been so. They're trying hard, but they're not winning. It's so. It's actually really impressive, though, if you look through it. Like all their games, all their losses are one-score losses, except for USC, which was a one-score game until like four minutes to go. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's. I mean, he won't win anything, but like he's done a good job down there. That game looks almost. A little scarier than I thought, just because they've challenged all the good teams that they've played. Oh, it's the, the desert in November, man. It's when the, the, the he's done a really good job. Of, he's done a really good job of getting the buy-in, even though they lose every single week. Yeah, they play hard. They do, and you know they're just outgunned. But I, I think it's it's Winningham's to lose. Um, Kellen DeBoer is probably the only other candidate. Maybe Jed Fish. Um, Throw Dan in there. Dan deserves some at least some consideration, especially if Oregon were to go eight and one. I, he wouldn't. You don't think he'd win it because the other team, other other guys have better narratives. But if Oregon goes eight and one and maneuvers its way through the schedule, like he should at least be considered. His name should be mentioned. Yeah, probably. Patriot, Patriot legend Jed Fish. It's my that guy. was 
That was why you were fist bumping. I was trying to figure out. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't care about Dan. Give me Jed Fish. Oh. <laughs> um, do we want to get in? I mean, I, I, I just have, my, I guess, my overarching thought on this game, and we don't have to go too far into it because I know we're probably not trying to go too much longer. Um, but like, I, this one really feels like the first quarter is going to be really important for both teams. Like, it, Oregon has had its issues on the road starting fast. This is not an environment to do that that keeps the crowd engaged. And I really think this is like, you, it, this is oversimplification 101, but like, if this is a, this is a game where if Oregon, plays with the lead like i wouldn't i would expect that they would win and maybe win kind of comfortably if they're playing much like usc did last week against utah where utah was in control for most of the game and, and certainly the second half that's where you would start to have a little bit of uh-oh this could kind of get a little bit so like and i think it starts at the line of scrimmage on both sides to jared's point like this will be the biggest challenge undoubtedly oregon is faced from a run game like to this point in the season Who's like the best running back Oregon has faced? Like, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of good competition like names to pick from. No. Uh, I guess Dylan yeah, Johnson no. at UW. But I guess yeah, he's, he's the only he's one. He's been with good. Yards. He's been good yeah. this year. But so that, like, my, uh, my, my point is that Jaquindon Johnson and and. Uh, even Baki, who's utilized in a bunch of funky ways, like a wildcat quarterback, they have him out in the slot, but they also have him as a traditional running back. Like, if this is a game where they're able to get some some forward push and get some momentum and have some success early, build a lead or hang with Oregon for the you know the early part of the game, like, and if conversely, like let's say Oregon has a hard time running the ball, which hasn't been a problem all year, and it becomes okay, can can Bo stand back there and withstand the, the pressure that's going to be coming at him because Jonah Ellis is a game wrecker. Utah has 25 sacks on the season so far in seven games tied with Oregon for, for most in the conference. I'm now kind of – I think Oregon will win this game, to be clear, but I'm kind of creating the, the scenario here of, like, that is where you get a little bit worried. Oregon starts out slow. Utah builds the lead. Utah makes it so Oregon can't really successfully run the ball and they become one-dimensional. And I think Bo Nix, maybe that's where his Heisman – candidacy game kind of develops and he has to bring them back and has these great moments. But it's also the kind of situation where you'd get a little wary of, of maybe you end up dropping it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a simple point, but it's, I, it's how I feel as well. It's like if Oregon jumps out to a good enough lead, like I just don't know if Utah's offense can just come back from it. Um, it really hasn't shown it this year. Uh, it has the last two weeks, but you know, they played Cal and they played USC, who are uh, two of the worst defenses in the Pac-12 by nearly every uh, statistical, uh, I don't know, statistical standing in the conference. And there's not a lot of great defenses in the Pac-12. There's like three or four that are actually like really good. And Oregon is is in that group this year. They're top three in basically every category, them and UCLA and Utah. But like, so if you're Oregon, if you can control the wide receivers on the outside and man coverage, which they've shown to do this year at points, um, and then you can focus, harness in and focus on the run, then that's a good recipe for success if you're the defense because you're going to have to force Bryson Barnes to beat you. And again, while he did lead the drive uh, against USC, the ultimate game-winning one, he hasn't shown an ability to really uh, cause harm with his arm. Uh, he's had... Three touchdowns against USC, and then the only other one he threw this year was on the very first play of the season against Florida on that flea flicker. Um, 
So if you're Oregon, like that's going to be the game plan. But Utah, I'm sure knows this. I'm, they're a very smart coaching staff. They're going to come out and do some weird stuff, man. I guarantee it. They're going to try to get really tricky with this. Um, and Oregon offensively, you have to figure out how to establish the run. You got to. Because last year, I just pulled it up. They had 59 yards rushing. Um, a lot of that had to do with Bo Nix being hindered. Um, so they, if you're, when you were Utah, you're just like, yeah, no, we're just not going to let you run the ball. You're, we're going to figure out if Bo Nix can beat us with his arm. Uh, but with everybody healthy here and Irving and Jordan James and the offensive line doing well over the last couple of games, um, you have to figure out how to establish that run. Not only does it bleed clock, but it gives Nick some rest. It gives you some options. It sets up the deep plays uh, to a Utah secondary that hasn't been great. It hasn't been like Utah secondaries that we've seen in the last couple of years, which have been great secondaries. So maybe there's a window of opportunity for Oregon to do something through the air. But um I think, Eric, I agree with your point where it's just like if they get out to a jump lead or they get out up 14, 21 to 7, something like that, um, it could be difficult for Utah to come back. But again, not putting it past them. We, the, the pig farmer may strike. We're cooking up bacon at the end of the day. I'm sorry. That was a dumb joke. It's a good one. I mean, Whittingham no, pulled it out first. Don't give me any credit. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't want it. Uh, this is going to be a fifth game in a row. Between top 25 teams, both squads are 2-2 two and two in the matchups previously. Uh, Oregon hasn't won at Utah since 2016, which was Herbert's freshman year when he threw that dime late in the game. To Carrington and the Utes uh, are currently 29 of 30 in the last 30 games at home. Uh, getting a win in Utah is very hard. The last time that someone has beaten Utah came in the 2020 football season. Um, it's going to be really hard to get a win against this team. And I think if Oregon walks out of it with a victory, you know, we're going to be considering maybe this is Dan Lanning's best win in his time at Oregon. Um, Injuries aside, it doesn't matter. This is a loaded game. It's going to be fun to watch. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here on the Odds Not Always podcast. We're efforting to get a guest to come on the show for a Wednesday edition. Um, and then Thursday, we'll have our preview picks and game picks as well. Uh, and then Saturday night from Rice Eccles Stadium, we'll have our podcast breaking it down as well. Until the next one, uh, you've been listening to the Odds Not Always podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.